0: share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn.
1: So today we have the honor to interview Kirsten Legerlotz, professor at Humboldt University. So Kirsten, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Great. So uh, Kirsten, what I wanted to talk to you today is First, we'll talk about your background and then your role at your university. And then we'll talk about your approach towards innovation and injury prevention. And then uh, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on the best studies that you have come across, especially for female athletes. And then we'll talk about your favorite technologies and what you wish you would build if you had unlimited resources. So how does it sound? That sounds good. Great, so Kirsten, first, could you maybe give us a summary of your background and your role at uh, your new university?
2: Okay, so currently I'm employed as a professor for movement biomechanics at the Humboldt University in Berlin. So movement biomechanics is a, is a part of sports science. I'm working at a sports science department, um, teaching sports science students and yeah, doing research, particularly on the adaptation of the musculoskeletal system, yeah, particularly a muscle and tendon adaptation, the effects of hormones on those tissues and the um, resulting effect on injury risk.
1: That's great. Um, And how long have you been a professor at your university?
2: I've started here in 2014. And before that, I've kind of traveled the world as a postdoc. So I did my PhD at the German Sports University in Cologne. And from there, I, I moved to New Zealand to do a postdoc there at the Department of Sports and Exercise Science. And then I uh, from there went to the UK, uh, first spent some time as a postdoc at um, in, in London at the Queen Mary University at the School of Engineering at Materials Science. And then I moved to Norwich um, to the School of Biological Sciences at the University of East Anglia. Um, and then I left academia to work for Novartis, so for the pharmaceutical company yeah. to look at um, yeah, um, tendon, tendon health tend, um, yeah, and uh, tendon healing, basically. And from yeah. there, I uh, moved to my professorship
1: in Berlin. That's great. So uh, how would you describe your approach towards innovation and injury reduction? I didn't say injury prevention, right, for female athletes. Uh, so that's my first question. What would you say is your approach towards innovation and injury reduction?
2: I think uh, the main point here is that we need to understand the causes of injuries and that it doesn't help just to describe the prevalence of injuries in um, and to determine. um, Yeah, basically a coincidence of certain injuries with certain phases of the menstrual cycle, for example, but to really look deeply look into the complex relationship of a variety of parameters and how they affect um, yeah the, the causes of injuries because before we do not understand why those injuries are happening um,
1: we don't have appropriate way of preventing them. And would you say there's there's a lack of research towards female athletes in general, because most of the research I've seen, they're more geared towards uh, men, you know, men te- men's teams and, and men, you know, athletes, right? that's that's one point so there there certainly is a lack of
2: studies on female athletes but it's also not only the number of studies but also the questions that we ask for example yeah. it has been known that um the prevalence of acl so anterior cruciate ligament injuries is more um, they occur more frequently during certain phases of the menstrual cycle like in the follicular phase and the ovulation phase so that that has been described again and again and again and again so there are many studies on that but that doesn't really help us because we don't know why that is happening we can describe that it is happening but it's it does not allow us to to really react to that or to prevent injuries we need to find out why those injuries are happening and there has been one explanation for that which yep. is that um, ligaments yeah are supposedly becoming more compliant during uh, the ovulation and that has been associated with certain causes of injuries and that also um, reflects how we see the menstrual cycle and what kind of questions we regularly ask with the menstrual cycle because we always look at things to become weaker or, or less good or um, mm-hmm. are different to men um, and then we interpret the results in the same way Which means that, yes, it is true that um, the knee, for example, becomes the knee joint becomes more compliant during the ovulation phase. And that is correct. There again have been many studies to show that. But those reviews also have shown that there's no um, causal relationship, no association between ACL injuries and knee compliance. And so. For example, knee compliance is higher in the luteal phase than it is in the follicular phase, but in the follicular phase is where more ACL injuries happen. So um both of those two things occur, but they're they're not really
1: related to each other.
2: So you're saying um, there's maybe
1: a lack of understanding and we need to do deeper research into that to see the correlation, or is that what you're saying?
2: Um I think we we should yeah, we should not misinterpret a correlation for a causal relationship just because two things occur at the same time doesn't necessarily mean that they are uh the result of uh, the same variable um yeah and yeah, so, and I, I think because because women are also are uh, regularly seen as just the the um, or the menstrual cycle, um, I've seen this something that um, yeah is, is disturbing or is is uh, leading to weaker um, being weaker or being less good or being able to perform less. I think that's um, that kind of
1: yeah. I mean, it, it, it sounds like what I'm hearing, listening to you, is that uh, yes, we kind of know that you know, female athletes are more prone to injuries during the menstrual cycle. But I feel like there's more that we have to fully understand of why those things are happening. Yeah. And maybe maybe because there's more complex elements and factors that we still don't know about. Is that a fair assessment?
2: Yeah, well, for example, in in one of the studies which looked at the prevalence of ACL injuries in in skiers along the menstrual cycle, the authors claimed afterwards that... um, women should be more careful uh do more careful skiing during the ovulation but the point yeah. here is that at ovulation other studies have shown that women are actually performing better they show um, they are more motivated they show um higher risk taking behavior during ovulation so yes. if you tell elite skiers to to be careful during ovulation, you will, you yeah, you will decrease the performance. And mm-hmm. yes, it may be that they that those that the higher motivation and the higher risk-taking behavior may lead to more injuries, but it probably also leads to better
1: performance and better results in races. Yeah, but, but the, the statement that you made, I've heard that also before uh, by talking to, for example, Laura, right, uh, works on the ovular ring and and other practitioners and uh the statement being that you know during the ovulation ovulation cycle uh you know menstrual cycle uh, female athletes tend to take more risk so if you're a coach right and you know that they're they're more willing to take risk how do you uh mitigate that how do you manage the fact that they'll be taking more risk
2: well i think it, it really is um something that needs to be individually discussed between the specific athlete and the coach because there may be athletes who tend to be more anxious yeah and for them the to to train a new element for like, is it in in skiing or in diving or whatever or in in gymnastics the mm-hmm. relation may actually be the perfect time point to train um a particularly challenging Uh, element in a uh, gymnastics uh, performance for example Mm -hmm. that would be the perfect time point to to actually train it so that's actually something that's good if 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 athletes who are maybe a bit more anxious um, are willing to take more risks so on the other hand if you have a very uh, if you have an athlete that kind of things that she's bulletproof and uh, is 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 always taking very high risk and um and there maybe uh, conditions in skiing which are not optimal maybe it's 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 very snowy outside you can't see really yeah. properly
1: yeah.
2: then that's probably a good time point to say look you need to be a bit more careful today
1: yeah Really, I think sense. it depends
2: on the athlete and it depends on the situation
1: yeah cuz maybe some athletes are more prone to taking a risk in general just in general yeah. right and then some of the athletes might not be good at managing, uh, you know, those situations and some other ones might be more comfortable, you know, taking higher risk than, you yeah. know, so anyway, so I'm sure it's, it's very, it depends on the individual, right? The person yeah. that you're dealing with. Um, so now you talk about some of the, the, the study that you've come across. Uh, you, you talked about that before. What are do you think the best studies that you've come across when it comes to female athletes?
2: I think um, what I really liked is the research of Christian Cook, who did a lot on um, testosterone fluctuations during the menstrual cycle, showing, Mm -hmm. for example, that um, athletes um, have higher testosterone levels during ovulation and that those are related to um, more motivation and higher risk-taking behavior. Which also shows that it's not just estrogen and progesterone that fluctuates during the menstrual cycle, but it's also testosterone. And that's that's also something we need to consider if we think about um, cycle orientated uh, training or adaptation to strength training, that there are variations in testosterone concentration, um, which we can make use of and Mm -hmm. uh, use them to our advantage.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense. That, that so that study that you just mentioned—that's probably one of the best studies you've come across. I think so. Yeah. Okay, and, and you know, if there was any specific studies that you wish you could do, assuming you've got unlimited funding resources, what types of study would you do, and, and focusing on what? Uh, I guess what uh, particular area you think?
2: I think um, what's always a problem is that. Um, if you want to study the menstrual cycle in detail you need uh, many women because the inter-individual variations are yeah huge yeah. and you need to follow them up for a long time so mm-hmm. you need really um, good funding <laughs> to be able to um, have enough staff and enough time to follow those athletes for an extended period of time. And you have to have equipment that allows you to measure them regularly, to
1: determine their hormone levels Mm -hmm. and to do that also quite frequently. Yeah. And what do you think would be the, the minimum sample size? Like how many female athletes do you think you would need to do that study so that it's representative enough and the you know the fundings are conclusive you think are you talking about 50 athletes talking about 100 I think, athletes
2: 1, i think i think if you manage to get 40 female athletes with a natural men- menstrual cycle mm-hmm. and you would be able to follow them for six months i think that would do the trick
1: okay so maybe we can help Maybe we can you know go yeah. out to the teams and say hey if you got uh you said 40 athletes right yeah yeah so that would be enough for six months uh great so uh now because we we uh you know we work with lots of technology vendors and and, and teams what are your favorite technologies maybe your top three that you've come across or even even used
2: um so what I've yeah, what I frequently use are um, yeah force plays or by impedance measurements or the ovular ring. Um, what and I think those are quite handy and um, yeah allow um, yeah good data. But what I really what I think is also which I haven't used what I haven't used yet, but what I think is quite useful are those smart rings
1: yeah because oh, they are like the, the, the aura ring the aura ring to measure the yeah, the, the temperature yeah. hrv and thing like
2: that yeah for example uh i think that that's something that would not only allow us to monitor the menstrual cycle but at the same time monitor heart rate or heart rate variability and yeah. um, sleep quality and and i think um because it's something that you just have to wear and you just don't have to uh, think about when those measurements are taken. You don't have to be active as an athlete to actually perform the measurement. It's it's basically you just put on the ring and that's it. And I think that's very convenient and that allows us to uh, yeah, collect continuous data. And I think to collect continuous data over an extended period of time is extremely valuable.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I know the folks at Ura, so maybe I can help you guys get a couple of rings. And I was talking to you a few weeks ago to the LFC, the MLS teams in the US, and they, they just, uh, they love the UR ring because like you said, they are players, soccer players, right? They just, uh, they wear them and they just forget about it. Yeah. Right? Um, so uh, that's a great product, I think. Uh, hey, last question. So assuming that you had, you know, again, unlimited resources and money, what types of technology in a perfect world would you build to better monitor female athletes and, and you know help reduce injuries, what would it be? I think um, menstrual cycle monitoring
2: needs to be in place, and I think, for example, the ring would be, um, in my opinion, a good way of, of doing that. Collect. Yeah. Um, and you probably need to connect that also with a very good, um, yeah, monitoring app. Which records mm-hmm.
1: menstrual cycle. like an AMS, like an AMS platform.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, um, that makes sense. And 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 you don't. I'm sure there's some female you know teams out there, right? That have been using the ORing, but I haven't. I mean, I haven't seen like studies published about how they've been using it and the impact on menstrual cycle. Maybe it's out there. I just haven't seen it.
2: Now that's just um, the one study I'm aware of. It just just shows that um, it is uh, working or valid, but I haven't seen it in, in menstrual cycle um, monitoring of athletes yet.
1: Okay, so that would be your kind of combining a smart ring like the Oura ring with a an advanced AMS system, where you can yeah. collect all of that data and then make sense of it through algorithm, basically. Yeah. Okay, that's great. So, we're well, look, we we are at the end of the interview, but. I wanted to thank you for for your time. Uh, Great feedback and and super interesting. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by IBAudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.